Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Take your Bibles and open up to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. And uh, does anyone need a Bible? We've got some on hand. Okay. And uh, Matthew 24, we are going uh, to start here um, where where we're going to look. We're going to begin in verse uh, 36 and we're going to go to the end of the chapter in Matthew 24. This is our last week uh, for now in Matthew 24. And uh, this is week nine. We've been studying this specific passage of scripture. And my prayer is that this has been very equipping for you. It's been challenging for you. I know it's been challenging for me, but it's been a joy to walk through this. Um, It's also insightful for us to look at the reality that we've spent nine weeks in one chapter of scripture. And it's good for us to do that every now and then, that we don't just rush through and miss certain aspects of this. It just reveals the value in us slowing down when we open up the Bible and take enough time to really wrestle with the text, okay? And I encourage you to do this even further on your own. Don't let this be the checkout point for this section of Scripture. Don't don't check a box and go, all right, we studied this for nine weeks during Matt's sermon series, so now we're just going to be done uh, with this specific uh, text because there's a lot here and there's probably a lot that you have missed as we've gone through this. That's just the nature of it. And so the beauty of Scripture is it's living and active and we can come back to it and see even more and the Spirit of God reveals even more to us. And so as we finish this up, I just challenge you with that. I pray that you will uh, continue forward with this. Um, and then just to give you kind of a prequel, next week uh, we're going to look at a, a passage in First Thessalonians, just kind of a fill week between series. And then the week after that, May 9th, we're going to be starting into a new series on family. Uh, and this is going to be kind of co-taught. Uh, between myself and Brandon and Drew. Uh, so Drew's actually going to be kicking that series off and talking about uh, the definition of family, biblical family. What does it really look like, even beyond just the blood family structure that maybe we're accustomed to? And uh, so through that whole series, uh, we're going to go through May and June, and we're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about intimacy. We're going to talk about parenting. We're going to talk about honor. Uh, there's just a lot there, and I'm, I'm really pumped up about this. We're going to talk about um, sin, the cycle of sin in generations, okay? I, um, so look forward to that with me, and uh, it's going to be at least the next two months that we're going to dive into that together. And I, 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 I can't, it's hard for me to describe to you how g- giddy and excited I get about these things. I just do. And part of it's because this is what I love and this is my passion. And uh, there's another side of it that I see so much of what we've outlined for this is so practical in the season. And it's not going to matter, by the way, I'll, I'll say this, with that family series, it's not going to matter 
whether you are a parent right now or not, there is application for every person in here when it comes to that series. Okay? It doesn't matter what phase of life you are. It will not be a series that you sit back and you go, oh, well, this is for those people who have young kids or those people who are married or those people who are younger in age. Okay? That, it, it has application. That's the beauty of Scripture across all of this. So, anyway, that's a little preview to what's coming. And uh, I'm looking forward to see how the Lord uses that to teach us here. So as we jump into this, I want to, I have a question just for you to wrestle with, okay? Uh, what stirs urgency in you? What stirs up a sense of, I got to do this now. I, I need to be urgent. And when I say that, maybe there's something that just comes to mind, alright? Um, maybe it's in a sense of a medical emergency. Something happens and I need to do this, I, I need to do something about this now. And some of you are just stubborn when it comes to that. And you go, no. When something happens, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna blow, blow it off for a little bit. It'll, it'll be fine. My wife would probably say that's how I tend to be with those things. Okay, um, it'll be fine. Or I've, oh, I've done worse. Okay, uh, maybe it's school deadlines or work deadlines. I can, I, I can remember very vividly um, being in college. And having a paper that I knew was going to be due two weeks ahead of time, but it was a big paper. And there's two types of people when it comes to school. There's those people who, some of you know what I'm talking about. There's those people who plan ahead, and then there's those people who wait to the last minute. Okay? I was a planner, so I would put it in my calendar, and I would actually mark it as due a week before it was actually due. Just so in my mind... I knew, okay, if nothing else, if things fall apart, I could start it here, and I still have a week. Um, other people, I had, I had guys on my floor that we had a 14, 15-page, single-spaced Old Testament, New Testament paper to write, and they would start the night before. And they would pull an all-nighter, and I, I literally remember one of my floor mates, uh, they had to be turned in at the professor's office by 3.30 in the afternoon on the day it was due. And he was sprinting across campus. At 3.15 to make it to put the paper in, okay? There was a sense of urgency, I have to do this now, okay? Maybe you sense a bit of urgency as you see how quickly your kids or your grandkids are growing. And you start to see how quickly time can fade. I uh, read in a book once, this was a really humbling statistic, all right? That from the time your child is born, you have basically 18 summers with your kids. And that's it. Now, you might have more time than that, but when you think about that, all of a sudden, at least in my mind, it made me go, oh my goodness, there's a sense of urgency here. Because I can easily become distracted and move into other things that maybe don't matter as much, right? Do we sense any kind of real urgency when it comes to being ready for the return of Jesus? You see, we have a lot of stuff that can become urgent in our minds, week in, week out, pattern after pattern. But do we ever sense an urgency to be ready for when 
Jesus returns. The last section of Matthew 24 really focuses in on just this. And Jesus' exhortation to his disciples. Everyone say disciples. He's speaking with his disciples. He's talking with them. And he gets to this section of this and just brings home the whole focus of what he's been trying to communicate to them. And all that's going to take place and all that's going to happen. So I want to read, starting in verse 36, I'm going to read to the end of Matthew 24. And I'm going to pray. And then we're just going to go through this a little bit by bit. Um, and draw out exactly what is Jesus saying here, uh, kind of in summary to his disciples. Verse 36 says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Everyone say no one. No one knows. Not even the angels of heaven nor the son, but the father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the son of man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. Everyone say, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. Everyone say, be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? Whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. And will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Father, may we take this text seriously. May you develop in us as your church a sense of urgency as we consider the impending coming of Jesus. Lord, we long for that day. And yet, Lord, we confess how often we do not live as if we long for that day. So transform us by your spirit, in the name of Jesus, amen. Now right off the bat in verse 36, there becomes a very glaringly obvious truth that Jesus communicates to his disciples. And that is simply this. God knows the end. Now, this could be read two ways and both are applicable, right? One, God knows the end. He knows the end game. He knows the end process. He knows the steps it's going to take to get to the end. But also, He, God, knows. Period. The end. End of discussion. Draw the line. Put your foot down. Scripture communicates. God knows. And He's the only one that knows. 
And so once more, I will communicate to you, beloved church family, brothers and sisters, do not waste your time trying to figure out the exact timing of Jesus' return because it's not your job. And do not even entertain speakers or self-proclaiming prophets who declare that they somehow have this outside knowledge of when this is going to happen. Why? Because just as 1 John tells us that we should test everything to make sure that it is truth. If Jesus himself communicated to his own disciples that no one, everyone say no one, no one knows the day except God the Father. Then that's where the discussion stops. And there is a depth here where we have to recognize God's sovereignty and our humanity and go, it's okay. It is okay for us not to know the depth and details of how this all unfolds and takes place. In fact, there are many times I believe that we would probably, we should probably be more thankful that God has not revealed more to us because I'm convinced we wouldn't be able to handle it. We wouldn't be able to even begin to comprehend all that's going to take place and how all these pieces work together because it's something that is of such a size and such a nature that only God himself can handle it. The really cool part about that is that you and I have the opportunity to be in relationship with the one who knows. In Jesus, we have the opportunity to Enter the throne before the throne of God because of what Jesus has already done before us. That's what Hebrews tells us. Hebrews 10. That we can boldly, boldly enter into the holy places through the blood of Jesus. It's the same God that created the universe that knows the end of all things. He knows how everything that's taking place right now fits into the broader scope of what's happening. As I was sitting with uh, uh, one of our shut-in church members this last week, I was so uh, encouraged as they were wrestling with some of these things as they look around. And the illustration that I, I gave to them is when we look at all that's happening right now and we try to take control of it and try to make sense of all of it in the broader picture, it's like looking through a pin-sized hole and trying to recreate the Mona Lisa with a paintbrush. When in reality, God already sees the completed masterpiece. And so if we just let him have the brush, he knows every stroke that needs to take place. And no matter how messy it might look to our pinhole sized frame of view, he sees the entire thing. So at the end of the day, some of us just need this one truth. Right now. And that's it. In fact, there are many days that we could probably just read verse 36, say this phrase, and leave and be equipped and ready and motivated to go out and be faithful with what God has given us. 
Jesus here tells his disciples concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the son, but the father only. And you can imagine the disciples sitting here. They're really back in verse three. They wanted to know the answers to these questions. So they're still sitting here after Jesus has gone through everything and kind of going, he hasn't really answered our question. Just tell us, like, just give me the the date. Give me the facts. Break it down for me. I don't want to have to read the whole manual. Give me the picture. Right? And so Jesus comes at this, I believe recognizing his disciples' own humanity and going, they really just want me to tell them the exact time. But concerning that day, no one knows. Now, some people read this and they become kind of conflicted and going, how is it that the angels don't know and... It says even the son doesn't know when Jesus is God and mankind and one flesh. How, how do we wrestle with that? Well, the reality is at the end of the day, we read in Philippians 2 that Jesus, when he took on the form of man, humbled himself, not counting equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself taking the form of a servant. Right? And so there's many that argue that the reason the son doesn't know when he's talking to his disciples right here and there is because he's in his humanity. And that's not that it separates the deity and the humanity of Christ, okay? We believe here that Jesus is fully God, fully man, incarnate Christ. But in the midst of that, we also recognize that Jesus says, I've come to do the will of the one who sent me. So there was an element here in Jesus' ministry where he submitted to the will of the Father, And even in this moment, it wasn't yet his time to reveal all these details. Now, we could go down a big rabbit hole there and spend a lot of time on that. But here's where I want us to say, God knows the day. He always has. He always will. It'll never shift away from what he already knows, the end. Now, secondly, his return will come suddenly. Verse 37, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, just to reiterate, the story of Noah, clear back in the book of Genesis, we see what takes place as Noah and his family are called to build an ark. And God is fed up with where humanity is at. And he saves Noah and his family. They build this ark. All of a sudden... The skies open, the floodgates pour out, and it happens. The picture here is one painted where it is, uh, as in those days before the flood, verse 38, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware. Everyone say unaware. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. Now, what's interesting about that is in that specific narrative, who is the one that is caught off guard? It's those who are unaware. And church, after even just this series, you and I cannot make the excuse that we're unaware. We're very aware that Jesus has promised to return. We're very aware from the teaching of Scripture, all that's going to take place and unfold. Do we live like we're aware? Do we live as if the return of the Lord will come quickly and even unexpectedly on a day that we don't anticipate? 
Sadly, it's not just unbelievers that can become distracted and complacent in their day-to-day lives. Jesus clearly recognizes this as he shares these truths with his disciples. How easy can we become so focused on everything else that we actually lose sight that this is not our home, that this is not all there is, that that Jesus will return and there will be a day of reckoning, there will be a day of judgment. All of these things will happen and unfold. And sadly, I think we often become like the servant who, in verse 48, says, my master is delayed, I'm just going to enjoy life. And we don't have a sense of urgency in the midst of all that's going on. So then what does Jesus bring about in this text as far as application to his disciples? The first thing he identifies here is stay awake. Verse 42. Therefore, stay awake for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. There he reiterates it again. No one knows. Because you don't know, stay awake. And he gives this illustration of uh, verse 43, where if the master of the house knew at what time the thief was going to break in and steal, then he would just stay awake at that time. He would just stay alert right there when that happened. He wouldn't have to worry about it except that, oh man, the thief is going to break in during the hours of 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock on this date. And all of a sudden you may realize why God is the only one who knows the day. How easy would it be, church, if we knew the exact day and time Jesus would return? So we just kind of moseyed on through life, knowing that, well, Jesus is going to return over here, so I'll just make sure everything's in order over here before he comes. It's kind of like we have people coming over, so we're going to wait to get everything in order until the day before. Right? Right? Scripture instead communicates, no, 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 no. You actively always work to stay awake and be ready. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 6. You yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief for you are all children of light children of the day we are not of the night or of the darkness so then let us not sleep as others do but let us keep awake and be sober Whew. second peter three but the day of the lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. It's going to come quickly. Stay awake. Now, the second thing he communicates to his disciples in verse 44, therefore you also must what? Be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. No one knows. So you be ready. You be ready for when he comes. Here's a couple questions we could ask. What is it that I need to prepare now if Jesus came back tomorrow? 
What conversations would I have this week? What time would I prioritize? How would I engage my spouse or my kids or my grandkids? How would I engage my coworkers or my peers differently? How would I approach each day if I knew he was coming this week? How would we approach that if we knew that our time to leave this earth was in the next few days? Now I know this statement is pretty common. Live like you don't have tomorrow, right? But there's another depth of this where we stop and we recognize what does it look like for me to actively be ready and be alert, be awake at all times leading up to this. What about our relationship with the Lord? Now, I am not in any way here advocating that you are to live in some perpetual state of anxiety because you go, the Lord could come in any day. What am I going to do? I've got to get all this stuff in order. I've got to accomplish all these things. No, 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 no. That's, that is not what I am advocating for. Rather, being ever aware of God's sovereignty and our humanity There should be an element where I go, I'm going to devote myself to being faithful to the Lord. And I'm going to trust all that stuff that I just don't have control over to Him. And I'm going to prioritize that which He has called me to already in His Word and said, this is my will for you. And this is where that last application that Jesus draws comes in. In verse 45 he asks a question, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? He goes on, he says, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. We hear oftentimes Matthew 25 quoted at funeral services where we hear the statement, well done, My good and faithful servant. How many of you have heard that statement before? Put your hands up. Yeah. So, do we stop and realize where that actually contextually fits into Scripture? It's in a parable Jesus tells in Matthew 25 about these servants that were all given a certain amount to be faithful with. And two out of the three that were given that were faithful and actually multiplied what they had been given. But the one buried it in the ground... And then when it came time and the master returned, he brought that to him and said, I knew that you were a strict man and that you wouldn't want me, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, you wouldn't want me to lose that which you had entrusted to me. So I buried it and here it is. It's all safe. It's secure. Nothing happened to it. And that servant did not hear those words. Did not hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Why? Because he wasn't faithful. He was passive. He buried what God had, what the master had entrusted to him in the ground. He didn't do anything with it. So often, church, this is the danger for us that we become complacent in the sense of just sitting and existing and burying the gospel message that God has entrusted to us, not actively seeking to faithfully walk in it and share it, share that hope with the people who are already in our circle of influence. 
And if that is us and we are sitting idly by waiting for the master to return, we are no different than the servant in Matthew 25 who buried his gift in the ground expecting a reward when the master returned. May that not be us. Stay awake. Be ready. Be faithful. Serve with wisdom. Wisdom to see our model for serving and faithfulness is Jesus himself. In John chapter 13, he says this to his disciples when he washes their feet. As I've done, so you also do. Will the Lord find us faithful if he returned today? Serve with humility. Humility in recognizing that salvation is only from the Lord. Recognizing that serving in humility is faithfully serving others before I become self-serving. Recognizing that the unbeliever, according to Jesus' words here, the unbeliever will face eternity in hell and the unfaithful believer will face discipline from the Lord. Jesus ends this chapter with a very grim warning for those who become complacent and not expecting and living out in light of Jesus' return. Now as we close our time together, I I actually want to direct your attention to another text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And uh, this is actually, I'm going to read through this, it's uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 12 through 24. And this is actually the text that we're going to be in next week as we talk about this. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, many of us ask the question, okay, I recognize Jesus is coming soon. I recognize all of this. What, what am I called to do? How do I respond to this? How do I live this out? What is God's will for me? So I want to read this and just kind of give you a prequel to what we're going to dive into next week as well, as it kind of finishes off Matthew 24 as a whole. 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 12, it says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. Everyone say faithful. He will surely do it. So wherever you're at today, there are two things I want you to leave here with. One, salvation is only in Christ. Jesus will return, and it is only those in Christ who will celebrate on that day. 
Only those in Christ. Two, if you are in Christ, God's calling for us as the church, the church being those of us who are in Christ, is to be ready. To have a sense of urgency as we look at all that's going on around us, that it does not cause our confidence to fade. Rather, it causes our gaze to be even more fixated vertically on who God in Christ has revealed Himself to be. And we move forward with confidence, with eagerness, with readiness. Stay awake. Father, as we close this time together, may we do so in a way that brings you praise. Father, I pray specifically that in our waiting, that we would be a people who is not passive, who is not merely uh, getting by, but who is recognizing our active role in proclaiming the good news of the gospel in each area you have entrusted to us, that we would sense an urgency and be ready and be always looking towards what we know is coming in the end for your purposes, for your glory. In Jesus' name.